Well, good morning, and welcome to the house. Uh, my name is Greg Hampton. If I haven't uh, mentioned that, or if we've never met, and uh, today I actually want to start off right away with the uh, passage of scripture that, that I'm going to read. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have uh, physical Bibles out in the lobby. Otherwise, you can look this up in uh, a digital uh, Bible. It goes 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you pull me down just a little bit. Um, I, I call that one of the sequel sections of the Older Testament. Um, wow. That wasn't funny? I thought that was funny. Man. You get it? Do it again. I'll do it again. So it goes, it goes 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. It's what I call the sequel section of the Old Testament. See, Bradley, you get me. You get me. Anyhow, we have a tradition of giving the scriptures our full attention when we read them. Uh, one of the ways we can do that is by standing together as we are able or as you would uh, prefer uh, if you would like to stand with me. I'm going to read 1 Kings 17, 7 through 16. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and then die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry. Until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word the Lord spoke by Elijah. Let us pray. God of every tribe, every tongue, every color. And every nation, we thank you that we have the scriptures. This scripture, that this story goes back nearly 3,000 years. We thank you that your scriptures have persisted throughout the millennia, that we still have them to read and to learn from. Pray that whatever you have for us to learn today, that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become more, would become stronger as we become more like your son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so today I want to talk about August and everything after. Um, some of you are going, oh, are we talking about counting crows? Yeah. No, I'm just calling the sermon August and everything after, and I just love the uh, album cover. Uh, and so I was like, I'm just going to rip that off, you know, the biggie. Um, but, so today may not seem any different to, to most of you. Most of you probably think, oh, this is a Sunday just like any other Sunday. It's just a Sunday in August. But to me, Sundays in August, and especially the fourth Sunday in August, have a lot attached to them. Ten years ago, at the end of July, 
In 2013, my family moved back to Rock Island from Colorado Springs to plant this church. Before we had moved, I was the uh, small groups director at a church of 10,000 people for three years. In addition to helping people at a very large church connect with each other, I was tasked with helping launch the new campus downtown Colorado Springs and to lead the worship band and worship ministry for that for the first few months as it got onto its feet. And when I would drive downtown, I would take the exit off the highway that was to Bijou Street. And Bijou had this hard S curve that would curve hard to the right and then hard to the left, and you would be dropped right at the edge of the downtown area. Now, I grew up in Moline, but the first job that I ever drove myself to was at the Fort Armstrong in downtown <laughs> Rock Island. I posted on Facebook today. I'm going to cry during the sermon today, 100% guaranteed. <laughs> and when I would drive myself to the job at the Fort Armstrong, I would go through this curve as fast as I possibly could because I was 16 years old, and that's what you do when you're a 16-year-old in a 1982 Toyota that's rusted out and has no shocks. You just go as fast as you can because it's fun. And so when I lived in Colorado, anytime I would take that exit onto Bijou, it reminded me of this S-curve, and I would find myself praying <laughs> for Rock Island. Hmm. After that, campus was up and running. The next January in 2013, Cindy and I were praying together about what God might have for us. And she said, well, maybe we should move home. Uh, maybe we should move to Rock Island. And I said, well, if we move home, we'd, we'd have to plant a church in Rock Island. And then I just started to weep. I was weeping for a town that I'd only lived in for one year before we ever moved. Every other year of my life had been spent in Moline. From that point on, pretty much any time I would talk about Rock Island, this would happen. <laughs> and I, remember, uh, I remember telling my direct report, my executive pastor that I would, was responsible to about wanting to plant this church, and, and he said, well... If this isn't call, I don't know what is because I don't see anyone else crying for Rock Island. So, by the end of August 2013, 10 years ago, we had only been back in the Quad Cities, and specifically in Rock Island, for less than a month. We were putting together our first information meetings. We had maybe three or four people that had said for sure, yes, we want to be a part of that, it felt like a, a miracle when months later in January that we, we launched and we had 50 adults and kids that were all on board. They were all like, yeah, we are going to be a part of launching this church. And we all agreed that the house, a local church, exists to invite people in, to call prodigals home, to adopt the spiritually homeless. We said that we believe that no one should be left out. We said that we would partner with other congregations and seek to plant more churches so that everyone has the opportunity to rest, live, and work in a great house. We said that we wanted to see a massive shift 
from spiritual homelessness to a strong and undeniable sense in our lifetimes of spiritual family in Rock Island and in the Quad Cities. We sent out 70,000 mailers. Not to 70,000 people, to 70,000 mailboxes. That first Sunday, we were expecting, in addition to the 54 people that were already signed on, anywhere from three to 400 people to show up. They say that you have one half of 1% of a return on a mailer. Well, one half of 1% on 70,000 is 350. Now, as the story goes, that first Sunday, the water main broke at the high school. And so we were told we were not able to or allowed to have a service inside the building. And so what we did was we posted on Facebook, hey, it's pushed to the next week, but anyone that's coming will be out in the parking lot. And so we handed out gift cards and flyers and coupons, and we just encouraged people to come back the next week. And some of you that are here right now were there one of those first two Sundays, whether because you were on the team or because you got a flyer because someone told you to come and see what this was about. Right around then, I had a dream. Have you ever had one of those dreams? First of all, it just feels real as you're having it. But it's also one of these dreams where, uh, depending on what you do for a living, like so maybe you're a teacher and you have a dream that you're about to, you have to go to class, but you didn't do any of the prep for the class. Or you have to go to court, but you didn't do any of the work for court. Or you're about to open a new show, but nothing's been sewn and finished. For pastors, that turns into the feeling of existential dread of, I didn't write a sermon. And I had this dream. We were in the, the auditorium of Rock Island High School, and I was so nervous because I hadn't finished a sermon, and the, the service was about to start. And so I went around to the, close to the back of the sanctuary, and, and, and the place was just full of every kind of person, of Jewish people, black families, Hispanic families, gay couples, kids, the young, the old, just everybody was there. And I looked up at the screen on the, on the stage, and there was a video playing of people telling their testimonies about how they had come back to or met Jesus for the first time because of this church. And then suddenly I wasn't worried about not having a message to share. And I woke up. I didn't know how we would ever get there, (laughs) considering that it seemed like uh, all all that would happen on Sundays in the winter of 2014 was snow. We had 10 10 out of the first 11 Sundays it snowed. Not including the one where uh, the water main broke. Okay, so back to August. But now it's August 2014. This is my second August back in Rock Island, but it's the first August after we launched the church, if that makes sense, right? So August is always a time of ramping up for churches. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but for instance, like right now, 
we've been talking about how Treehouse tree is going to relaunch in September, how we're going to serve in the Labor Day Parade. We have our annual homecoming Sunday. Why? Well, because culturally speaking, September is one of the few seasons every year that people are most open to trying out this church thing. Any Sunday is a good Sunday to invite someone to talk to Jesus. But culturally speaking, Christmas, Easter, September. These are the seasons where people are looking. And so summer 2014, I was hyper-focused on getting us ready for growth, leading the team. We were sending out another mailer. I'd said, on this Sunday, we're going to have 120 people. I knew it. I knew it. I was building expectations for what was coming next, and then what happened next was completely unexpected. In August of 2014, my six-year-old son got sick with a rare and unknown virus. Actually, nine years ago this weekend, this fourth Sunday in August was the first Sunday that we spent in the hospital in Peoria. And that Sunday morning was easily the scariest day of my entire life because it is the closest that we have ever come to losing one of our kids. Eventually, they told us that they had no cure. And I remember not knowing if I could keep going, <laughs> if I could keep pastoring this church that we had just started. I had no idea how to lead people to a God that I suddenly felt was very far away. But I put on a good face. And there was, at the bottom of my heart, just enough faith for bread that day. For the next seven months, from August 2014 to March 2015, we lived in hospitals. OSF Chicago, Children's Hospital in Peoria, the Lurie's Chicago Hospital for a little bit, and the Rehab Institute in Chicago, we spent Christmas morning at the Ronald McDonald House. So to say the least, August is never just August to me. Like our bodies know it. There are times where we will just feel crankies all get out and we won't know why and then we look at the calendar and it's like our body knows what's going on before our brains do. The fourth Sunday of August is never just another Sunday in August to me. The eventfulness of August doesn't end there for me. Jumping forward a bit, five years ago, I took my first sabbatical in the summer of 2018. It was just a six-week sabbatical. And in, the August, in August of 2018, when I returned from six weeks, when I was coming back from a time of rest, for whatever reason, over those six weeks... Right around a third of our congregation had dropped off and never returned. Maybe it was me, <laughs> but I know there was more to it. Leading up to that summer in 2017 and 2018 was the season when we, and particularly I, had become very vocal about racism. I'd read a book called Divided by Faith that said, statistically speaking, the more a pastor feels they have to lose 
The more they feel like they'd lose part of their congregation specifically, the less likely they are to speak out about racism. But our leadership team agreed that we were willing to take that risk if it meant that we were telling the truth. In the First Testament, in the book of Amos, chapter 5, 23 and 24, God says to his people, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Because church, actually being good matters more than only looking good. That August, I was sad that people had left, but I was proud that while the size of our congregation changed, that the character of our call remained the same. And I still had faith in the jar. And so despite the challenges that we'd been through in 2018, August, I was optimistic about our future because I also knew that within a few months we would be moving into this building, the building that just happened to be on the corner of the S-curve that I had always prayed about. What are the odds of that, right? In January of 2019, we officially moved in and opened this location. Sorry, not only is this emotional for me, but I've had a lot of allergies this week, and so it was this building, it was and still is more space than we need for, look around, a congregation of our size. But remember, we wanted to see a massive shift from spiritual homelessness to a strong, undeniable sense of spiritual family. We wanted enough room to grow. And so that next August, four years ago, August 2019, I stood right here and I shared the vision that within five years, we wanted to grow from an annual or from a weekly attendance of 75 to between 120 to 180 so that we could send 50 people and a pastor to plant another church in one of the other cities. Now, if you're keeping track of when that was, some of you already know what happened next. Because within months, we started hearing rumors of a virus on the other side of the world. And within months of that, the pandemic had shut down America, shut down the world. At first, we thought it would be a couple months. Remember that? Remember that optimism? We were like, ah, it'll be a couple months. Everyone will do the right thing. Man, we'll we'll knock this thing down. (laughs) Those couple months turned into 15. 15 months before we started having people back in the building at a limited number. We had RSVPs. We had sections, small groups of chairs. Some of you were here from that. It was 21 months, another six months after that, before there were really kind of no restrictions at all except for whatever people felt comfortable with themselves. That put us in December of 20. 
21, but let's be honest, it was a full three years before things felt normal again. So that vision, that hope of intentional growth that was put on hold because we had no idea how long this was going to take, we had no idea how long a global pandemic was going to last. We also had no idea how it was going to affect local churches. What we know now is that churches across America, including ours, on average, are 20% smaller than they were pre-pandemic. We were hoping to spend five years doubling our attendance so that we could plant another church. Instead, in four years, we shrunk by 20%. There's an anecdote about a new pastor at a church, and he, his old friend says, hey, how's it going at your new church? And he says, it's great. I've successfully grown this church of 100 people into a congregation of 60. <laughs> so then we move forward a little bit to the summer of 2022. It was time for my second sabbatical. The first one was after five full years, four and a half years of Sunday mornings. The next one was four years. Our pattern is going to be every four years. And so it was time for my second sabbatical. And I had no idea what to expect. The pandemic had carved away a chunk of every congregation in America. And the last time I left for a sabbatical, a third of the congregation peaced out. But the truth is, I wasn't worried. Because I had learned that church size does not always indicate church health. I'm reminded that 10 years ago, the same month that my family moved back to Rock Island, I actually left for one week to go lead worship for a youth group that was taking a missions trip to the rural towns of Oklahoma that had been destroyed by tornadoes. And one of the days on that trip, what they did was they took us to the site of the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. And as the guide showed us around, they pointed out that they had planted a row of trees in memory of each of the first responders that had lost their lives. And then they pointed out that they intentionally had chosen a species of tree that would never grow taller than the building that had been destroyed. So that as you looked at this outline of trees, it was though it had replaced the outline of the building. Those trees will never grow any taller than they are meant to grow, and yet those trees will still be healthy. I think that by the time I was leaving for my second sabbatical, the summer of 2022, we had not grown numerically but we had grown in depth and community and culture. I didn't think, and I still don't think, that our tree has reached its full height, but I knew that it was healthy. And I think that we had found ourselves grounded in the rich soil of what the 17th century theologian Rupertus Mildinius meant when he said, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things, charity. So when I returned from sabbatical last year, it was August 2022, 
and I found exactly what I had left, a healthy church, because I believe that Jesus is here. I believe that the Spirit is moving, and I think that the Father is pleased. But let me say this clearly. Being healthy isn't an accident. I used to tell people that most of the time when someone says they want something to be organic, what they mean is they want it to happen accidentally. Some of you have been in a meeting where you were starting to plan something and someone in the room chimed up and they said, I just feel like we should let this happen organically. And in some cases that works without any help. But in other cases, if you go to the grocery store and you go to the organic section, everything in that section required more work, more hoops, more intentionality, and more money for it to be considered organic. And it is no different in a church or community or friend group. If you want it to be healthy, it requires some intentionality. We cannot sit back like a basketball team in the dark going, hey, we're all on the same team and just hope we'll put the ball into the right hoop. It requires intentionality. It has to be on purpose. And so today, with just the few minutes that I have left, I just want to lay out what this next year looks like for us and why. Because it's important. Because it's not just for us and for this congregation, but it's for our city. It's for the mission and the vision that God gave us more than 10 years ago. It starts with next Sunday is a rest Sunday. I don't want to see you here. <laughs> it has been a core value of who we are since day one that rest comes first. Rest is the first thing that God offers us. And it is okay for us to stop, to intentionally stop, even when we're on the verge of September, to say, you know what? We are not going to buy into the rat race that we have to do something every single opportunity that we can. We will reject that and say, yeah, Labor Day weekend, we're going to rest. We are not going to try and convince people to show up here. Labor Day, Monday, Anyone that wants to, we have the opportunity to serve our city, though, for the 10th time. The first year that we committed to serving in the Labor Day Parade, I was in a hospital. But we served anyway, because we wanted to see our city thrive. Part of the reason that we have never had a float, not to say that we won't, but we've never walked in the, in the parade as a church or as a community. We've only ever served it because we're not, not to say that we never will, but we didn't want to start by advertising ourselves. We wanted to start by serving everyone else. There will be thousands of people at this parade. There will be hundreds of businesses and bands and people walking in this parade and we get to serve them and give them a positive experience on a stressful morning. Because it is. Because half the time, no one has any idea where they're supposed to be. We will be there 
serving them, making it as easy as possible. And then we want to relaunch our pantry that's going to be happening at Earl Hansen. I'm currently emailing uh, Riverbend uh, Food Bank to find out the information on how we continue to do that. If you're interested in being a part of that, let me know. And then September 10th, Homecoming Sunday, it's just a fun event we do because sometimes prodigals, the spiritually homeless, the first thing that they need isn't a message, isn't a sermon. It's just to be able to see a community have fun together. So that's a great day for us to invite people to come home, maybe for the first time, and see what a community can look like. September 17th, Treehouse and the Shed relaunch. Everybody give a whoop whoop. And it's not just because, oh, we need something for the kids. It's because creating a safe place for kids to learn about Jesus in a way that isn't judgmental, that isn't legalistic, will set them up for the rest of their lives of how they will think about God. They may not remember everything that they are taught, but they will remember the people that taught them. They will remember the attitudes of the people that taught them. They will remember the demeanor and the culture and the feeling and the environment that they were in. That's why we have these things. Not because of everything that they will remember on Monday, but because of everything that God will plant in their hearts for someday. And then from September 17th through Advent, we are very specifically going to do a series that is about being a healthy church. Because again, it's not on accident. I said, Siri, we're going to do a series. It's going to be called A Church Called Tove. Scott McKnight, a scholar and theologian, wrote a book, his, this book called A Church Called Tove. And Tove is a Hebrew word that means good. It's all about how a church can resist narcissism, how a church can resist creating false narratives, a church can resist celebrity cultures for their leaders, how a church instead can embrace empathy, can nurture justice, can care about truth. And so from September 17th until Advent, we're going to talk about what it means to be good. In that same time frame, at the end of September, you're going to see some opportunities to connect with each other outside of Sunday mornings. Tashiana McConnell, if you don't mind raising your hand, Tashiana is going to be hosting a women's group that's going to happen once a month. It starts on September 30th. The next month, October, November, we will have a weekly community table. We've had community tables for years. I'm just highlighting these things because we want you to connect with people outside of Sundays if you can. And then in December, as we have for the last, I think, nine years, we will have our foster gift ministry. We will collect gifts for kids that are affected by foster care. Again, speaks to the vision that we not only want to call prodigals home and adopt the spiritually homeless, but we want to care about people that are physically in that place. And then, in January, we will... Is everyone ready for this? Are you ready? Drum roll, please. We will celebrate being 10 years old as a church. 
That doesn't happen for everybody. So I don't know what we're going to do, but I might put a little team together to come up with some ideas of what we'll do for 10 years, because that feels like a big deal. But after that, we need to continue thinking about what it means to be healthy. And so from February to Easter, we're going to do a series where every week we're going to talk about and dive deeper into worshiping God. Because it's not just singing songs. Singing songs is part of it. Part of it is using our bodies. Part of it is our minds. Some of it is our creativity. I think a lot of times we expect people to know how to worship just by watching us up front. But I want to make sure that we as a congregation have every opportunity to learn and step into what it looks like and what it means to worship the God that has given us everything. Amen? Amen? Amen. And then we'll do some stuff in the summer. I don't know what. But that'll bring us back around to August. August. August 2023 will mark five years since I stood right here and said that we wanted to plant another church in five years. I do not think it's likely that will happen. And that's okay. That is completely okay. Because we are healthy. But I will say this. I'm not letting go of that part of our vision. Just because it's okay to wait does not mean that we have to let go of that hope. Because don't, don't we still want to see a shift? Don't we still want to see people invited in? To see the spiritual, spiritually homeless find a home? Do we not still want to see prodigals coming home, seeing the Father's foot touch stone and run to them? Don't we still want to see God do something in Rock Island? The city that 10 years ago seems to be treated so second and other by everyone I would talk to about it. And the truth is that that has not changed that much, even in 10 years. And so we have so much further to go. I think that God has so much more for us to do and be. And I think that there's still flour in the jar. that there is still faith in my jar. And if you are running out, I will give you some. Because I have faith that I can go and, and bake a loaf of bread that feels like will only be enough for me, but somehow it will also be enough for you. So that is August. But Jesus is in everything after. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for August. There have been times when I have hated it. 
But I thank you that every year we come around to August. And then my body reminds me, my brain reminds me, and then your spirit reminds me of who you are and why you called us here in the first place. It was not to bake one last loaf of bread and then die. It was to invite people in, to call prodigals home, to adopt the spiritually homeless, to say and believe that no one should be left out. And so I'll keep saying it. And I thank you for a church that is healthy, that will say it with me. 